So good. Hallelujah. Church, it's just good to be in church. Are you glad you're in church this morning? Come on, amen. I'm so glad to be here. Love this church. I love what God is doing here. I love the boldness of this church. I love you being young men and women and older young men and women. And I want to put young in there just because I don't want to offend anybody. And uh, just like, you know, there's a great courage in this church and there's a boldness in this church. God is doing something here in this region. And I'm pumped to be part of this ministry with you and, and, and to be alongside of you and see what God's doing for his kingdom. And just, man, our times of worship are so powerful that he deserves to be celebrated. He deserves to be worshiped. And church, I love it because this morning is just another reminder that I promise you, church, I promise you that there is a day, there will be a day that we get to stand before our Savior and our King face to face. There is a day that you and I get to be out of this place and out of this realm and be in his presence for eternity forever. And we get to be with him face to face forever. Church, I guarantee that there is a day that that happens. I guarantee that there is a day that you get to be face to face with him and be in his presence forever. For those who've trusted and believed in Jesus Christ, says Lord and Savior, I guarantee for those who are born again, there is an eternity waiting for us because Jesus is coming soon. And absent from this body is going to be present with him. And we get to be with him face to face. How beautiful that is that we get to join. How, how amazing it is here to be in the presence of God here, but yet sing holy, holy, holy. How much more, church, be in the presence of the, the thousands and thousands and ten thousands and ten thousands of angels as we get to worship him around the throne. It will be something beautiful. Can we say amen to that? Come on, amen. So good. We got to give them praise. So good. Give them praise. Church, there you go. Amen. That's my 11 o'clock. Here we go. Oh, what a morning. What a morning. Come on, if you turn me, please, James 5. It's good to be back. We took a little break from James 5 as Easter's kind of a really big deal. Uh, good Friday, Easter resurrection. Uh, my man, Pastor Jerry, crushed it last week as Randy and I were coming off a time that we were in Myrtle Beach with baseball and different things and had Pastor Jerry preach. We love Pastor Jerry. We love, I love how he handles the word. I love how he goes deep. I love how he has such, a, and I love it. There's just a pure affection for the word in Pastor Jerry. And, and it just, it, it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful presentation of God's word every time he preaches. And I, I'm excited to have him here in this church. And uh, it's just beautiful. Last week was fantastic. And, uh, and he just really looked at what it was coming off of the resurrection to know that in Christ we are instantaneously complete. But yet now in this world, we got to work that out and see what that looks like from and, and, and learning that progress. It's something beautiful, man. It was a great word. If you missed it, catch it up. Online, Come on, James 5. We are back to James. We've got two more weeks in James. This week, next week. Next week, we close the whole book of James. I have loved going through this book. I have loved this. We're going into a series after this. Three weeks from today, we're going, to, we're going two weeks from today. This week, next week, we finish James. And then following that, we're going to a series called uh, The Marks of, of a Mature Believer. Right? The Marks of a Mature Believer. Um, off the milk and onto the meat. That's what that baby's going to look like. And then after that, I'm praying, say, Lord, what, what is another book that we can go through? I'm really praying for the direction of this church and where we're at right now. God, where would you have us go as we go through a whole nother book 
after that next series. I have enjoyed this, man. I've loved this, this, this preaching where the Bible takes us, this preaching from letter to letter. I, I'm excited about this and see where God will take us. But um, if you've had time to get to James 5, today we're going to look at the first 11 verses and then next week, man, don't miss next week. We look at what it is on an effective prayer life. Church, what is it to have an effective prayer life? We look at that as James closes with that in this letter. It's something beautiful. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time and our opportunity to get into your word. God, we don't play games with this. Your word is alive and powerful. God, we don't play games with this. We look to your word and say your word is truth. Your word is truth. Your word is reality. God, your word is right. And God, I thank you for the truth and the fact and the reality of your word, for it's true. God, I pray that we would speak this. God, that word would be planted into our spirits, that we would grow from this. God, we would learn from this. We would hear from you in this. Lord, I thank you for your word today. God, let our ears hear it and let our heart respond to it today. In Jesus' name, come on, amen? Amen. Hallelujah. We told you in the beginning of James, man, this is gonna kind of like, James is kind of like that that aggressive book. For many, it's their favorite book in the Bible. They love James because it's an action book. It's an action movie. Like, this is what James is, right? It like punches you in the gut going, oh, wow, yes, ouch. Oh, that's great. Oh, that hurt. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, really, God, I'm supposed to? And it's just, it's that faith on display. The whole title of this series is called Faith on Display. Because when you read through James, it actually causes you to go and do. It causes you to go and stand firm. It causes you to be immovable on the word of God. It causes you to not be ashamed. It causes you to call out sin. Like, this is us as followers of Christ putting our faith on display for all to see and not being ashamed of that, right? Not being ashamed of that. And today we get into James 5, and it just, it it speaks. First first six verses we're going to skim through. It talks about those who have a lot of money, those who have, have nothing to do with God, those who have allowed their heart to get fat right before they go to a slaughter. Like this is, this is what the first uh, six verses are about. And then we're going to get into kind of the meat and potatoes of this thing in a sense of what's it look like when you are standing firm. James writes this letter, remember, to the church that is kind of scattered because of persecution, right? James writes this to those who are being persecuted, to those who are under the thumb of the rich, who are, who are the rich just stepping on those who, who, who are walking in faith. So when you see this, man, this is, this is that word that is like, man, if I'm going through a struggle or I'm going through a season or I feel like I'm under persecution and I've stood my ground, this is a word that James writes for us and God anoints for us by his spirit to say, hey, listen, at times there will be seasons that you're going to be persecuted. There will be seasons that it's going to cost you something. There's going to be seasons that you feel like you're being oppressed and, and, and that the world has just got you under their feet. And James gives us a word of encouragement to this. And I want you to hear it this morning. I want you to hear it this morning. I love this. I'm pumped to get in to James 5. Come on, let's look at this. Verse 1, it says, now, come now. <clears throat> when you see come now, it's like, it's like this exclamation point. Like James is like, hey, behold, pay attention. Listen up. This is what James is saying. Come now, you, re- you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. And listen, please hear me, man. There's nothing wrong with having the green, right? There's nothing wrong with being, being loaded on the grizz. Like, it's okay to have money. We can go through scripture <clears throat> of those who truly had a fear and a reverence of God that all of their finances actually came from God for his service. So there's nothing wrong with having the finances. Don't misunderstand what James is saying here. 
But the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So when you see it's not so much you having money, it, it's a matter of if your money has you. Does your money drive you or do you drive the money? Right? Does your money drive you? Does your money think you have this place of success for now that you're better than everybody? Or do you own the money to do for kingdom work? Like th this, is, this is where we're at with this. Don't confuse this. Right? Don't confuse this. And he says this. Your riches have rotted, your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. For it is in the last days that you have stored up for your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which have been withheld by you cries out against you and the outcry of those who did the harvesting have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth. The Sabaoth is the Lord of the host of armies. It's speaking of God being having this host of angelic army. This is what that speaks of. But I love where it, this is such an important piece to this because God is like, listen, um, you have abused those who work for you. You have taken your money and you've lived off your money and those who work for you to make more money, he says, you haven't paid them the wage that is worthy. Please hear this, church. We are called to pay those who work hard. If you own a business or you own or whatever that looks like, you have the opportunity to pay those who work for you. We have to pay them a worthy wage for how they are working. This is, this is so important, right? This is so important because these rich folk that, that lived in this day that James is talking about lived in such a way that they would not pay them what they were worth. They wouldn't pay them out in the field. They wouldn't pay them for doing the work and their cries the Lord heard. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that even come down to God being a just God, God being a fair God, that even when someone is working and, and they haven't been paid what they are worth, God hears that and sees that. Now listen, don't misunderstand the lazy. You know our heart in this church, Bible-wise, right? The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. Listen, there's a difference between poor and broken and not being able to work compared to those who are lazy. We have created an extremely lazy, lazy society. God's word has a lot to say about laziness. He says, you don't work, you don't eat. Put that on the left and put that over social services. Ah, and then see what happens, right? Like, try that and see what happens, right? Because if you're lazy, God says you shouldn't eat. That's serious. That's serious. Now, there are those who cannot work compared to those who choose to not work. There's a huge difference, right? So we've got to understand that going into this. And this is what it says. Look at verse five. For you have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. That just means you are self-indulgent and you live for your pleasure. You live for you. That's what, that's what this is talking about. For you have fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. He's like, listen, this is what, this is what James is saying. You have lived for you. You have lived for you, and you have no concern about God. You have no concern about the things of God. You don't care about God. You're not putting any resources towards God or his kingdom. You're not helping people out. Actually, you're taking from people who deserve from you. He's like, you're like the fattened cow. Like, you are a fat cow. You can call someone a fat cow if they fit, but don't generally call someone a fat cow if it doesn't work. But he was like, listen, you're like that fattened cow. And it's the reality is, is if you're a farmer, you know this principle, right? You know this principle as a farmer. Your cows are out there. They're just eating. They're happy. And they're eating your grass. And they're eating your hay. And they're getting fat. And they're happy. And then all of a sudden, the trailer shows up. 
Cow doesn't know what's going on. Farmer did. Farmer understood, this is what I'm doing. I'm feeding the cow, and the cow's going to get fat, and the cow's going to be happy, and then all of a sudden, there's a trailer that's going to show up, and then all of a sudden, the cow's going to get on that trailer, and then you're not going to see the cow again until it's on your plate, right? So when you understand this, this is the picture that James is setting up. They have no idea that there's a day that's coming. There's a day that's coming. And they're just living their life in wanton pleasure, man. They're just living their life and pleasing themselves. They're just living their life and forgot all about not a care in the world for what is right. And you can look at our day today, and it's kind of like that today. You live people who are just living their lives, and they could care less about right or wrong. They could care less about sin and holiness. They could care less about that which is moral and that which is immorality. Like, they could care less about that. They're just living their life. And there's a day of the slaughter. And I want you to see this. I want you to see this. And then verse seven or verse six says this, for you have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Therefore, and I love this in verse seven, there is a therefore. So we see this therefore. And we see, okay, why is the therefore there for? And, it, and, it, and it's this in-between. It connects the top from the bottom. And because of a, of, a, of a time of persecution, because James is writing this in a season where the church is kind of abroad and scattered, and James is the leader and the pastor of the Jerusalem church, but yet so many are scattered. He's writing this because of such heavy persecution, because of trials and tribulation, because of a season that they are going through. This is what James, here's the encouragement. James says, therefore, be patient. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of difficult seasons, in the midst of hard times, James says this, be patient, be be long-suffering, be be long-tempered. Don't let anger take a root. Wait on God. I love this, man. When you get a grab a hold of this in James 5 and you see what, what he's talking about here in the sense of, okay, we all go through seasons. There's times that I stand my ground and I got to understand there might be some hits to that. There might be a cost to standing firm on his word. I'm a follower of Christ first above anything else. I'm a follower of Christ. And in that, there might be times of persecution. There might be times of loss. There might be times of struggle. There might be times, uh, difficult times that might come, that might happen. And you know, James, word of encouragement is, ah, be patient. Just wait. Just hold on. Don't let anger take a root. And then he says this, watch. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. He says, be patient because I promise you this. Jesus is coming. This is what he says. Be patient because I promise you this. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Watch what he says. For the farmer, look at the farmer principle here. For the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil after being patient about it until he gets the early and the late rains. I love how James puts the farmer to work here, right? He says, okay, everyone knows the farming principle. You reap what you sow. But the Bible says this. I love this in James 5. He says, the farmer plants and he waits for his precious produce. Listen, when you understand church, our life here on the earth is about seasons. It's about reaping and sowing. 
It's about knowing persecution can come. It's about knowing, am I going to stand my ground when I see the world in such an insane manner, when I see the world calling wrong, right, and right, wrong, when I see the world doing the opposite of what God's word says, when I see the world. And we could go down a whole long list of what the world is, is doing right now, and where is our stance against that which is so vile and so wrong? For you and I to come to a place to say there might be a day that it costs us something. And James is just simply say, listen, this is the deal. Just as a farmer plants and then he has to wait, he realizes and knows that there is a day that I will reap this harvest. There is a day that as I planted, if I plant and if I don't wait for the early and the later range, if I don't write, wait for the right season and I go try to pick the fruit before it's really ready, it's going to be a useless fruit. If I planted this, but I don't let it produce its precious fruit, if I don't let it grow in the right season, if I pick it before and it's too early, the fruit is ruined. Man, we've got to understand the right season. We've got to understand the seasons of life. And James uses this as a farmer saying, listen, um, as a farmer waits patiently, he knows if I wait patiently, I've planted, the rain is going to do its part, and then I'll harvest it in the right season. So when, when, when he uses this for you and me, listen, I know that I'm a born-again believer. I know that there'll be those who come against me as I stand firm on the word. I know that there'll be difficult seasons. I know that there'll be hard times. But he says, as much as the farmer waits, knowing, knowing that there'll be fruit. Church, what is it that you have truly looked forward to that you know? Like you, you're patiently waiting. You, you're eagerly waiting for something to take place. Is that marriage? Like you find that right guy. You find that right girl. You're walking in this place of dating. Like, ah, this could be the one. This is kind of cool. You know, and then you get into the serious mode. I, get, I know who you are. I know that you love Jesus. I know that you worship Jesus. I know that you care deeply for me. I know that I can trust you. We're taking this thing to a level of, okay, now we're getting serious. Uh, now we're past dating. You know, would you be my wife? Can't wait to be your wife. We walk in this engagement period. We're all juiced and excited. And there's this, there's this excitement that builds because we know one day we'll be married. And we're waiting and we're believing and we're, we're ex, ex, truly have this expectation that this is going to happen. And then you get to that day and you've kept it clean. You've kept it pure and in, in, in physical relationship, which is so important. And then you get to the wedding day and you're all excited. And then you get to the reception. And I can tell you, I was at my reception for about as shortest time as I possibly could be at a reception. <laughs> I'm like, girl, we got to go talk. <laughs> uh-huh. And I literally, I got pictures. I picked her up in my arms and said, you all can dance all night long. I don't care what you do. We're out. And I walked out the door and said, Renee, we just have, me, me and my wife, I got to have some conversations tonight. It's going to be amazing. Great talk. But you like, you just, you have these expectations, right? Like an expectation. You have these amazing gifts and children. They are blessed gifts. Like you get married, you get pregnant. You're like, oh, this is amazing. Great season in life. And then the second blessing comes, which we are experiencing the second blessing of grandchildren. There are those who are blessed with children. And then the second blessing comes, which could be greater than the first blessing, which is the grandchildren, which is amazing. So you're just like, oh, we wait and we expect and we're in this fruitful season right now. And these are things you're like, okay, what is it that I have waited for with an expectation 
and I've seen it fulfilled. Because watch this. This is what James says. He says, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until he gets the early and the late rains. He says, you too be patient. Just, just as, watch this, just as the farmer planted, he's planted in the right season. The seasons are happening and the fruit is coming. He says, you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. I love this. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Strengthen your hearts. It means to fix your courage. You too be patient. No matter what season you're in, whether you're taking hits right now for your faith, whether you feel like you're being persecuted for your stance on that which is right, whether you look to this and say, no, I will stand my ground. I know that this is the Bible truth. I know that this is right. And I know that there's hits to come possibly. And I love what James said. Listen, you too be patient. Keep planting that seed. Keep standing firm. Fix your strength. Fix your heart. That means fix your courage. When your strength is fixed and your heart, that which is on the inside, is building up and being strong. I love this. It means fix your courage. Fix your courage. That your heart would be in a position that is fixed, that is full of courage. That's amazing. And this is what James says it takes. And then he gives us this beautiful, precious promise. He says, you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is near. Church, what is it to, to know? I know that this life is temporary. I know that I'm living for my leaving. I know that I'm going to stand my ground for my king. I know in that it might take some hits, but I know I will stand my ground for this is the promise and this is the guarantee that Jesus is coming back, that Jesus is going to return. And in that moment, I am a strong believer in the rapture. I believe the church is going to be raptured. I believe that we are up and out and I believe it is for those who are looking for his return. I believe that Jesus could come any moment. I believe that all has been fulfilled. The next thing to take place is Jesus' great return. We are up and out. And this is encouragement as James is saying, listen, you too, just as the farmer knows that precious produce is coming, you know as an absolute promise and guarantee that the coming of the Lord is near. And guess what? This was 2,000 years ago. Man, how much closer are we when you see the signs of the times and you see the lawlessness and the crazy. You see those who are calling wrong, right, and right, wrong. You see those who have flipped things in Scripture. You see the cowardness of church today. You see wars and rumors of wars. You see nation against nation. You see all of this taking place. Come on, look up, because Jesus is coming soon. Be patient. Don't let your anger get a hold. This is the truth, church. This is James' encouragement for those who are going through it. Look up, because Jesus is coming. Church, I love this truth. Man, this does something to my spirit. Studying is going, ah, I know I need to live for my leaving. <clears throat> and just a beautiful song this morning. It, was, it brought me back to scripture saying, Lord, there is a day. There is a promise guaranteed day for you and I who believe. Everything we've done is going to be laid out on a table. And Jesus, our, our Lord, is going to put a, a, a flame to it and he's going to burn everything on that table. The only thing that's going to be left is what's been done for him. Church, there's this beautiful day that we get to lay our crowns at his feet. There's this beautiful day that that which we have done for him 
will last on that table. I don't want to get to that, that, that time of judgment. Listen, we are not judged for our sin. For those who believe that took place for us on the cross, Jesus took the hit for you and on that cross. But we will go through. As, as James is so clear, your faith is on display. We will go through this, this time before Jesus. Well, everything that we've done, our life is on display on a table. And he's going to light a fire to it. Only what's done for him will be that which is worthy of our walk. It's amazing. It's amazing. So church, what happens if we look at this and say, God, I'm going through a season. I've stood my ground for you. God, I've stood my ground for you. I'm going through a season. And James is like, come on, be patient. Wait. Don't do anything premature. Don't go pluck that seed premature. No, wait. For the coming of the Lord is near. For the coming, Jesus is coming. And the coming of the Lord is near. Now watch this. I love this. This is what he says. Here, Here it is. He says, do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Isn't it amazing that when you go through different seasons and you go through difficulties, isn't it amazing that you start complaining? Right? Like your back's against the wall and you know, okay, this is still a God thing. I'm I'm still right with the Lord. I'm doing right for him. I'm standing my ground. I'm living my life for him. And I'm going through it right now. I'm going through a season. Maybe it's persecution. Maybe it's just a difficult time. But yet in the midst of all that, he warns us, listen, when your back's against the wall, when you're going through a difficult, hard time, don't start complaining. Don't start grumbling. Don't start looking to to Susan over here and start complaining about Susan. Don't come over here to Harold. I don't know Harold or Susan. Don't come over here and start complaining about Harold. If your name's Harold, no one's complaining about you, Harold. You're good. Like, so, you know, but isn't that true though? When when it's not going great for us, all of a sudden our, our, our our, our tone begins to change towards people. Isn't that amazing how we see this and it's like, oh, dad, that's, woo, that's right. In verse 10, he says this, as an example, brethren of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Church, what happens when you begin to understand that you are blessed when people insult you, when people come against you, when people persecute you, Matthew 5 says, for his name's sake. What happens in your spirit when you realize, okay, for his name's sake, not for popularity reasons, not for any other reasons, but for his name's sake, I stand my ground on truth. For his name's sake, I stand my ground on morals. For his name's sake, and then all of a sudden, hits start coming. All of a sudden, persecution starts coming. All of a sudden, the insults start coming. All of a sudden, the lies about your name when they try to trash your name, that starts coming. Lies start coming. Insults starts coming. You know what? You know what? When you stick to the Bible, you know what the Bible says? You'll be blessed. God sees it. Church, I will take God's blessing. I will take God's favor. I will take his overflow of goodness. That's what blessing means. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, 
wants to overflow his goodness in my life. He wants to put favor on my life. And I'm actually worried and concerned about someone lying about me or an insult or persecution. Really? No, because when you know, know that's bound to happen. But God sees it all. And Sean, his favor will be on you. For you are blessed when these things happen because you've stood for his namesake. Come on, Hebrews 11 real quick. Keep your finger in James 5, but we'll go to Hebrews 11 over. Just turn left a couple pages, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is this beautiful, beautiful chapter of the, the heroes of faith. These are not super saints. There's no super saints. We're not super saints. We're dealing with life just like everyone else deals with life. But yet these, these men and women are called out in their faith and they're trusting in the Lord. And he starting in verse 32 and it says this, when he, when he speaks of the example of the prophets. And I read this and I think, okay, like we're called to look back to the examples of the prophets. We're called to see these amazing men and women in the, in the truth of God's word as Bible characters who did exactly as the Bible tells us they did, who went through exactly what they had to go through, but yet held their ground in truth. Men and women, mighty warriors for God in faith. And I look at this and say, okay, who is it? Watch this now, watch this. Who is it that's coming after us? that will be looking to the church in this day and age. Was the church the example that was necessary in this day and age? If the Lord would tarry, what's it look like 50 years from now? What would they be saying about the church in this day? This is where my mind goes. If we're called to look back at the example, my question is, well, what is the example that we're setting today? for the next generation, for this generation. What is it that we're setting today? And I look to this and we see this in Hebrews chapter 11. It says this, verse 32. What more shall I say for time will fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms performed acts of righteousness obtained promises, shut the mouths of lion quenched the power of fire escaped the edge of the sword from weakness they were made strong they were mighty in war foreign armies to fight to flight put foreign armies to flight women received back their dead from resurrection and there were others who were tortured not accepting their release so that they may obtain a better resurrection if you would just discredit the name of Jesus and they refused because they knew absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. As soon as I, my life has gone from this flesh, I am in the presence. They, they knew the better resurrection. They knew what was going to take place. They would never give up the name of Jesus in a false way. They would never discredit the work of Christ because they knew, take my body, take my flesh, because I have a better resurrection. What can you do with a person like that? Seriously, what can you do with something less than if I live? Paul said it's if I live, it's gain. If I die, it's better for me because I'm in the presence of the Lord. Live or die, I'm his. That's what he said. If I die, I'm his. If I live, I'm his. Whether I live or die, guess what? I'm his. I'm good. Like, what a mindset. What a mindset. That's some deep stuff for a man of faith. That, that's like, wow, that's, woo, that's really good. And then you get to this. 
and others experienced mockings and scourgings and chains and imprisonments, and they were stoned and they were sewn in two. Ah, the sewn in two thing, that would be rough. That would be rough, but this is what they went through. And they were trampled and they were put to death with a sword. You see, you see this affliction that he speaks of and the example of those who were the prophets, the example of those who went through it. Come on, real quick, John or Matthew chapter 14, please. Matthew chapter 14. And this is this is this is not an old testament prophet, but this is John the Baptist. And Jesus gives us this story on John the Baptist. And I love this. I love where, 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 where Jesus is speaking of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was his cousin. We know the story. Mary, Elizabeth, you know, John leaped in, in Elizabeth's womb. It was incredible, amazing, great celebration. And John the Baptist was the forerunner to Jesus. John the Baptist came in his camel clothes and he came eating locusts and bugs. He came with honey and he came from the woods. Like it's that guy. Like when he comes to church, they're like, oh, that guy. Like there's that guy and he came with, with camel hair. He came living in the woods. He came eating his bugs and he came preaching truth saying, listen, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And he just preached this message of repentance. Turn from your wicked ways. Understand sin and immorality. And guess what? Please hear this. When it talks about the example of those, this cost John his head, literally. He stood for that which was moral. And it cost him his life. You read through Matthew 14 and you see that there's a couple characters in that. We're not going to go deep in this. There's Herod, there's Philip, there's Herodus, and there's Herodus' daughter. And then there's John the Baptist. You've got Herod, he's the governor. Well, guess what? Herod has a brother named Philip. Philip's wife is named Herodus. And guess what? Herod is sleeping with his brother's wife. John says, that. that's a bad idea, that's sin. Herod, you can't sleep with your brother's wife. Like, when you understand John stood his truth on morality, saying, hey, the reality is this. Like, hey, Herod, I know you're the governor, that's whatever, but you're sleeping with your brother's wife. Ah, you can't do that. So you look at his boldness, you look at his courage for morality, you look at his courage on truth. He looked to the, to the lead, man. He looked to the governor and said, bro, you're in sin. You can't do what you're doing. Herodias apparently likes sleeping with her brother's whatever, Herod, because she hated John. She hated John for this. So Herod puts John in prison. Uh, Herodias' daughter, there's the big dance thing and pleases the king so much, the governor so much. He's, listen, whatever you want, I'll give you. So mom says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. Like, this is crazy. Matthew 14. This is like a movie. Herod didn't want to do this, but he's now he's said this in front of all of his guests. He's got to come through with his oath. He says, all right, go behead John. Oh, because John stood his ground on what is right. And they literally cut his head, put it on a plate, <laughs> and brought it to the, to the girl. That's crazy. Because John the Baptist stood for morality and what is right. Come on back to James 5, please. Church, what happens when you and I understand what it is to stand for what is right and to stand our ground for truth? 
and, and truly in a, in, a, in a time and a season, in a day and an age that we are seeing what God called right, the world wants to call wrong. And what God called wrong, the world wants to call right. Where is our stance against truly this just abuse on morals? Where, where is our stance on this crazy transgender idea that's being pushed in true government, politic, sports level? It's crazy. Where is it that you still have to be 18 to buy a cigarette, but, they, but you don't have to seek parent consent to go get a sex change? Are you kidding me right now? What the heck is going on? What is it that there's just simply male and female because God said so? And marriage is between a man and a wife because God said so. Period. What is going on? And James is like, listen, who's the one who's going to stop? Remember, remember the prophets of old. Remember, they set the standard, man. They set the example. Yeah, they took their hits. But be patient. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. I want to be looking for his return. I want to be standing my ground on what God said is right. I want to be standing my ground on what the moral. Listen, what is the generation beyond us going to say about what we did today? What we did for them in this generation? Are you fighting for your great grandkids? Sean, I don't even have kids yet. But you will. If the Lord tarries, you'll have kids. And then you'll have grandkids. Then you'll have great grandkids. And then you'll have great great grandkids. Fight for them. Fight for the future. Be the example. Well, someone might insult me. Someone may make something up about me. Someone might persecute me. Then God says, guess what? You're blessed. I'll take God's favor. I will take God's blessing. When we stand for what is right. When we stand for truth. We look to the brokenness of this generation and to the lies of this generation. church that we would stand for for that which is right for an incredible move of God to happen God will move mightily God will move mightily in this region and we will stand hard for truth and we will see God do a beautiful work here church what is it for you and I say what example am I setting for those coming behind me. Where's the church in this most crazy, chaotic deception, the, the, the absolute pure mockery of God? Where's the church? Where's the church? This is mocking God. It's not complicated. Church, what happens when you take this word this morning and you say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing to make a difference and I'm willing to speak truth. I'm willing to be the John the Baptist and say, I don't care who you are, that's wrong. I don't care if you're the governor, that's wrong. I don't care if you're the principal, that's wrong. I don't care if you're the superintendent. I don't care if you're the board. That's wrong. Where's the church? 
Like seriously. This is James 1 through 11. This is, this, this is James 5, 1 through 11. This is what he's talking about. There's moments that you're gonna take some hits. There's moments that you gotta stand firm. There's moments that you're gonna be persecuted, but be patient. Know this, Jesus is coming. Know this, there will be a day that we get the honor and the privilege to lay our crowns at our King's feet. What a beautiful moment that will be that we get to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. How amazing it will be that we get to do what God has called us to do here, to be strong, to be bold, to be courageous, that our heart is firm encourage because we know what truth is we know what right is and it matters for our children it matters for our grandchildren it matters for our great-grandchildren it matters what we do today church it matters what we do today come on amen this is just james 5 this is what i love about just preaching through a book you got to go where it goes you can't get out of it right you go where it goes and how timely is this? How perfect is this? When we're seeing so much insanity taken over. Like, where's the church? Where's the godly parents? Where's the godly board members? Where's the godly teachers? To say enough's enough. Where's the godly men and women in uniform for police? Where's the godly men and women in uniform for fire? Where's the godly men and women in the military to say enough's enough? Yeah, but Sean, it, they might say bad things, but they might persecute me. They might like... God says you'll be blessed. I want to be on that side of truth. I want to be on that side of truth. Come on, if we could just stand to our feet, please. Can I ask you, church, like, where are you in this today? 1228, man, where are you in this? Come on, I want your, I want your heart to be fixed on courage and strong and bold because you know there's a day what is it that Jesus could come today what is it that Jesus could come in 100 years what is it that Jesus could come in 200 years I have no idea but I know it's the next act of the church and I know and believe that it could be today and I want to live for my leaving I don't want to have any regrets I don't want to get before him and have my table there whatever that table looks like, and have this huge pile of how I lived for me and how I cowered back and how I didn't do it your way and this small pile of the things that I actually did for him. And then all of this burns up and there's just this little pile. Church, I don't want that. I don't want that. Live for your leaving. Be strong now. Be courageous. Be patient. And I love what James says, because Jesus is coming. Because Jesus is coming. Because Jesus is coming. The time is ripe. The season is ripe. Wars, rumors of wars, nations against nations, lawlessness, lies, deceit. Season is ripe. The Lord is coming. And I want him to be proud of me. Not as a pastor, 
but just as a son or a daughter of him because I belong to him, because I know what he did for me. It has nothing to do with your vocation, man. It has nothing to do with your job. It has to do with you being a son or daughter of him, saying, God, I want you to be proud of me. You are my heavenly father, and I serve you, and I want you to be proud of me. That's what it is. Come on, Father, we love you. We thank you. What a great day today, B.C. God, we thank you for this week. I pray that you bless us as we go this week. God, we would walk in a way that is honorable, walk in a way that is loyal, walk in a way that is true with you, walk in a way to not be ashamed, walk in a way to be strong. Bless this week as we go. No weapon formed against us will prosper. God, your mighty hand is with us. Your mighty hand goes with us. God, you open doors for us. God, you increase our territory. Father, hallelujah. And God, I thank you that you will protect us from the enemy and you will protect us from evil. God, move this week in such a powerful way over every single one of us who turn to you and look to you. And God, there will be something in our spirits of courage. There will be something in our spirits of life. There will be something in our spirits that we are firm and that our heart will be strengthened this week. In Jesus' name, come on, amen. Hey, if you need prayer for any reason, man, as Melissa sings, we'd love to pray over you. Come on.